0: Here is a historical character, which is admittedly attractive to many of us already by its gaiety, its romantic imagination, its spiritual courtesy and camaraderie, but which also contains elements, evidently equally sincere and emphatic, which seem to you quite remote and repulsive. But after all, this man was a man and not half a dozen men. What seems inconsistency to you did not seem inconsistency to him. Let us see whether we can understand with the help of the existing understanding these other things that seem now to be doubly dark by their intrinsic doom and their ironic contrast.
1: Welcome to Pints with Chesterton, a podcast where two millennial women dive into the wonderful and whimsical works of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. I'm Grace and I'm Marie.
0: On today's episode, we are discussing chapters 1 through 5 of Chesterton's wonderful book Saint Francis of Assisi. Hooray, I'm so excited Hooray! to finally be talking about this book. <laughs> the timing is perfect though. God's timing is perfect. We meant yes. to record this back at the beginning of September. It's now the beginning of November, but in the meantime I've had like a few experiences with St. Francis. Mm. And it's just kind of made me even more excited about recording some episodes on this book. So
1: That's awesome. I also, I don't think I've told you this yet. So this is kind of like a fun little announcement. Maybe I did, I don't remember. But um, I went home for for fall break recently and my mom um, is basically, long story short, she's in a choral society and they're traveling to Rome to sing in St. Peter's in the summer Whoa, but she is fun. gonna stay in italy for the whole month uh-huh. and so she invited me to come after her choral concert and so we're gonna spend a week in assisi and i'm ah! so excited <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> so, Grace, so actually i was me? literally reading this book whenever she told me <laughs> and oh i was like my yes gosh. that is so
0: exciting
1: I know. I've been there before, but it was 10 years ago and it was a very short trip like in the midst of a bigger pilgrimage around Italy. And so I just fell in love with Assisi and I was like, I will come back here and I will do nothing except read and pray and write. Yes. (laughs) And so that's what I'm going to do.
0: I love it. And with such a special mindset after studying this book.
1: Right. Yeah. I I know. I can't wait to go and just like I don't know, think about it more and read about it more yes. like when I'm there. So everybody
0: says too that it's like the most peaceful place mm, that they've is, visited yeah. in Italy. Um, I haven't been there, but I would like to someday. Mm. Um so cool. One of the things that this book did for me also, and I'm sure it did for you, was that it made Saint Francis so real to me. Yes. It yes. made him such a man to me mm. rather than like I didn't realize how much of a portrait I had painted of him in my mind that was like Mm. the secular view of him, um, which is something we're going to talk about um, in more depth. But I am so excited that you get the opportunity to go after, like, really, I feel like we're forging this friendship with him now.
1: I know, I know. After after studying him a little. Um, The first time I went was after I had just graduated from Franciscan University. And so I did spend two and a half years kind of learning more about him than I ever had. But Chesterton just like has this way of expressing a person's whole world and whole personality. Mm -hmm. um, That, like you said, it just brings you to such a deeper level of understanding of Mm -hmm. of this man. Um, And it's amazing that he can do that. With a person that lived so long ago, you know. Yes. Um, and
0: he, the way he talks about him is almost as if he's a personal friend of Chesterton's, mm-hmm. at, and like, oh, I read his diaries, <laughs> you know. And he's he he takes a sword and he just slices through to the heart of like, what are the core stories that really tell you about who this man is? Like, what is the what is the world view that he had and that was you know like what was happening in the world around him but before we get there what are you drinking today grace
1: i have coffee <laughs> it <laughs> feels a lot earlier than it is because it's so dark outside it's yes. currently thunderstorming in Bathurst yes. so
0: it's been getting dark here too like it's still dark after seven a lot of mornings here which is a bummer I'm drinking Clippers English breakfast tea, which nice. David and I got on our trip to England last month. And it's so good. Um, we had it in our hotel and it was nice to find one that I haven't seen it here. Like some English breakfast teas you can buy here, PG tips, twinings, et cetera. But it's fun to have a new one. So Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Us classically without our pints. <laughs> I know. I guess I should like, I don't know, try Link, to make blink. a cheers sound. <laughs> um, it's the morning. You can't expect us to have pints at this time of the day. <laughs> well, I did that one time. I set a precedent. <laughs> yes. We should one, one of these days. We should. So what have you been up
1: to uh, other than... Honestly, just work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But my work... Um, My work is, it doesn't feel like work. (laughs) So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, it really does kind of like, it's, it's funny because it's like, I feel like I have good boundaries about like time and work and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, it really does kind of flow in and out of my actual life, my personal Mm. life, because it is my parish. It is my community. Um, there's a lot of people that I know and love and would hang out with, outside of work, you know, that I end up also working with. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's a very rare gift and I see that and I'm super grateful for it. Um, but yeah, I just, I've been doing a lot of, of meeting one-on-one with people that are coming Mm. through my RCIA program. Um, and so we have, gosh, all together, I think we have close to 50, um, that are signed up and so it just, I have a core team of people who are willing to meet but we try to meet with every person at least once one-on-one to Mm -hmm. just kind of like hear more of their story and like what's Mm -hmm. brought them here and what questions they have and like kind of what stage of the process are they in and you know all this stuff and so it's just been really really cool um to meet with all these people and hear their stories and some of them just like blow me away with their faith and just like the journey that they've had so far and so anyways yeah I've been doing a ton of that so that has been taking up a lot of a lot of time, um, but good time. I'm also, I've been recently inspired to write more. Um, mm. And it's been kind of coming to me from a lot of different angles and a lot of different voices in my life that I trust and who know me. And um, we've been doing charism discernment with some people in my office. There's like mm-hmm. a program where we're just like trying to understand. And I've kind of already known this, but there's like a little like, tests or whatever that kind of is a preliminary like here might be some of your charisms but like part of Mm -hmm. it is like you actually have to like put them to work in order to like test and see if like, this is what the Lord has for you, you know? Um And so it's not like, sort of like, take this test and you'll know exactly what personality type you are, yeah, you know? Yeah. It's not really like that. But some of the things that came up in doing the test, like were n- unsurprising to me. And so I think that kind of speaks to the reality of them. But, um but writing mm. was in my top three. Oh. Uh, it was like, teaching knowledge and writing like those were the things and so I was like okay I think this is probably a thing and I've been hearing this prompting for a long time like you need to just like quit scrolling Twitter and like actually write something of consequence you know what I mean Um, but it's just been a lot of like kind of praying and discerning and being like what is it that I should write about and I have a couple of ideas in my mind so I have actually three pretty distinct ideas for a manuscript in my head. And so, um, wow. my friends are novel writers. Uh, they have like a novel writers club, um, yes. a writer's group and they are sort of inspired by the inklings and everything. And, but they're all writing f- uh, fantasy and they're all Catholic and they're trying to write sort of in the vein of like Lewis and Tolkien, but without, without being like super obviously Christian, you know? Um, and so they all encourage each other, and they're doing the like November what whatever it is like the Nano or whatever, where people write like certain word counts every day of November, okay, um, to accomplish a goal. And it's usually for novel writing, and I'm not interested in writing fiction, but um, but they were like, you should do it anyway, and we can like keep each other accountable. I love <laughs> so I was it. Like, well, maybe I'll try. So anyway, so that's another thing that's been kind of like on my mind, and I've been kind of formulating ideas and writing notes about like possible things. Fantastic. I love
0: that. I can't, well, to to be continued, you'll have to keep us updated now.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And have you been reading anything interesting lately besides St. Francis of Assisi? Besides St. Francis, yeah. (laughs) St. Francis is
1: definitely the thing, but um, at work, we have staff formation um, and our pastor... Once a week, we'll get together and he will give us something to read. And so we'll work through certain things slowly. A lot of times it's like church documents and things like that. And so mm-hmm. right now we're actually reading something called, let's see, where is it? Dies Domini, I guess that's how you say it. Um, But it's on keeping the Lord's day holy and it's by Pope Whoa. John Paul II. Um, and so it's all about like the Lord's day and the Sabbath day. And it's been so cool because the whole time we've been reading it, I keep like writing in the margins, GKC, GKC, GKC. Like, There's so much that I'm just like, this reminds me of Chesterton. This reminds me of the man who was Thursday because it's talking about like the days of the week and like all this stuff. And it's just like, it's full of it. So I keep like bouncing in my chair during staff formation and everybody's like, what are you (laughs) talking about? And I'm like, everybody has to read the man who was Thursday because I need to connect it to this document, <laughs> but I don't want to ruin anything. And like, so I just keep funny. going on and on. And so I've convinced several people in the office to start reading Thursday. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> Very good. And they have a resource to go through it too. Yeah. So what have you been reading?
0: On our trip to England, I read The Railway Children by E. Nesbitt, which was like one of the most charming books I've read in a long time. I think it's probably... Up there with Anne of Green Gables for me now mm. um, and it's it's a children's book, but I think adults ad- enjoy it maybe even more than children um, mm. and then I read also Dracula <laughs> um, that was really fun um, so I started a book club in August um, with just a very small group of close friends and We were reading Dracula for our October book. Dracula is not everybody's favorite book. And and I wouldn't say it's mine, but I I did really enjoy it. And I thought it prompted such good conversations. Um, And Bram Stoker has such an interesting story. Um, So, like, in Dracula, it's about a vampire, obviously. And, like, one of the main characters will use, like, the Eucharist and crucifixes and whatnot to like repel the vampires Mm. and yet he has like this mistaken understanding of these things and and it turns out he was not catholic he was irish though so he had Mm. close contact with catholics i'm sure um but he was had friends closely i don't know integrated (laughs) into the occult Mm. And like anyway, it was it was a very interesting book to discuss and like very fun and creepy for October. I am now reading *The Tenant of, of Wildfell Hall* by Anne Brontë, and I love it.
1: Ah, that's awesome. <laughs> and,
0: and it's just like it's so dramatic, and it's one of those books where you see one of the characters making a bad decision, and because. These were ladies like the Brontes, Austin, etc. who take their time. (laughs) Like, it's not like today where everything's instant gratification. I think the book has like 40 something chapters and we're only like on 20 something and I'm watching. Anyway it's been you very know, good. I
1: love stuff that is quote unquote long form so much better. Um, and I just think it's so much richer and you get the fuller story. And I actually want to talk about that in terms of St. Francis too, a little bit later. Okay. Chesterton brings up this like idea of history and all this kind of stuff. But yes. Um, but also I, we totally skipped over your whole like trip to England. So oh like, oh, <laughs> give us the yes. high points because that's kind so, of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: okay, well I'll make it brief so we can get into talking about the story. But um, yeah, yes. So So David and I went to England basically for the month of October, and we took Alexander. Uh, Alexander met his grandma for the first Mm. time and some other family, aunts and uncles, etc. It was amazing. And I was telling Grace actually over text um, when we got back that it truly felt like a trip where it didn't go by quicker than it had to. It didn't feel like it rushed past me. Like I felt like we enjoyed every day of the trip. We had quality time every day of the trip and downtime and so we went to Holmes Chapel for the first part of our trip, which is where David's family lives, and it's um outside of Manchester, so more northern England, and it's also Uh, Apparently, where Harry Styles is from, Um, (laughs) which is like kind of that just made me chuckle a little bit. Um, It was a really cute small town, and so Mm -hmm. we just like walked everywhere, and we stayed at this B and B, and visited with Angela, David's mom, every day, and it was great. And then we went to the Lake District, which. I think was David's favorite part of the trip and maybe mine too, just like the most gorgeous. We were on um, Lake Windermere and it was just absolutely stunning. And as we were walking around this lake every day, I finally got a sense of all of this British literature that I've read for so many years because... Well, and even just like the, the culture of a cup of tea so many times of the day, it's like when you're walking in like cold, wet, yeah. dreary weather, you want something like hot and cheerful when you get back into your house because um, you're cold. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, just the, the trees and the water and the hills and stuff, It I felt like tolkien could have gotten mm. inspiration for like some of the mountains and the lord of the rings from this area and yeah i just loved it like alexander got to see birds and sheep and dogs and stuff mm-hmm. every day and it was just like he loved it too Oh, so fun and then the second half of our trip we spent basically in oxford in london and i love oxford There's just, like, Mm. something really special about Oxford. The academic community there is, like, on fire. Mm -hmm. It's almost like being in a really good Catholic church, like, that's (laughs) on fire. Yeah. Like, everybody there is studying and, like, excited. And David spoke to the Oxford C.S. Lewis Society, and that was really cool. We met... Father Michael Ward, so awesome. who I really enjoyed talking with. We talked about G.K. Chesterton <laughs> and he was actually presenting a talk on Chesterton the next week at the London Chesterton like conference or whatever. So I think I might be wrong about some man who was Thursday things that I said previously. So he sent me an article that I need to sit down and read and I'll let you know what he says because yeah. I think... He might be able to help open my eyes to it. And I got all upset actually while we were talking. And I was like, I've been wrong about everything. Am I just dumb? And he was like, No, it's a confusing book that he wrote really quickly. Yeah. Like he mentioned
1: some things to me, and I immediately started like researching. And so I have a couple of podcasts in the doc now where he's apparently talking about it. So I'm like excited to listen. So what he thinks. So yeah, so that
0: was Oxford and Oxford was just beautiful. We also got like no rain on the entire trip. We got a little rain in the lakes. The last few mm. days we spent in London and David just like took me to see all of the popular London sites basically. Because the next time we go back, if we have more children, we probably won't be doing as much sightseeing. So mm. it was a fantastic trip and Alexander did really well. So we've been back home, and um, Wisconsin has been so nice and, like, not cold yet, so. Cool. Thank you, Lord.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, and my um, my book club has met once since I got back, and and my sister is getting married in a couple weeks, so we've oh, been yay. busy. Yeah. It's all been happy stuff, though.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, one other thing that I am trying to start, it hasn't happened quite yet, but I've been talking with my best friend, Father Brad, um, who is also a huge Chesterton lover. Um, he's a pastor actually in a town called St. Francisville, which is awesome. <laughs> and so, um, he'll like do readings of Father Brown and his gift shop that's at his church and stuff like that on Wednesday mornings. <laughs> and people will it. just like come listen. But, um, so yeah, we're gonna hopefully start a local chapter of the society of Chesterton. So that's cool. Yeah. We have a couple of friends that are really into him and we think that they would probably want to come and we want to also just like invite other of our friends who we think would like him. Yes. Um but I think there's like a very particular vibe of people down here that I would like to bring into the Greater Chesterton society and so I think they just have like kind of unique thoughts and perspectives about him and like really love him um too so and cool. so yeah. So anyways, I'm hoping that like maybe we can have the society here and like get it going. And then by the time like the conference comes around in the summer, everyone will be hype and want to come. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. That's anyways, exciting. we'll see. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know. I think the next conference is, is near us again and we're going to try to go um, in the Twin Cities.
1: Yeah, I'm going to try to go as well. Because it'll be at the end of my summer, which is a little easier for me to take off work, so.
0: Yeah. And it was so fun this last year. Yeah.
1: And we won't have to speak, so
0: we'll just to, like, (laughs) enjoy every... I love how you approach that. You're like, oh, yay, we don't have to speak. (laughs) Well, I enjoyed speaking, but it definitely, like, is a responsibility that was in the back of my mind (laughs) until we actually spoke. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's dive into (laughs) St. Francis of Assisi. Um. I wrote a little, very brief overview of what we're going to be talking about today. So, Chesterton discusses with us a saint that he has long admired and puzzled over, and St. Francis of Assisi has fans from all walks of life, all spiritual backgrounds, but not everybody understands or knows the real Francis. So, Chesterton claims that there are some incorrect ways of going about writing um, a biography of St. Francis. And he's going to try to do it the right way. He doesn't want to overly devotionalize him, and he doesn't want to just treat him like a secular figure of history. Um, He wants to try to capture the honest, true St. Francis. So today we're going to be talking about the first five chapters, and really it's Chesterton setting the scene and giving us the historical background that we need in order to understand saint francis and then starting to talk about some of the different aspects of saint francis in the following chapters so grace i think you'll agree that a lot of people love saint francis because they think he's just like a hippie Um, (laughs) a hippie who like had no worldly concerns and he just Mm -hmm. like wore the same thing every day and like lived mm-hmm. among the birds and animals. Like danced and- in the
1: flowers like Maria and the sound of yeah. music and like <laughs> Yeah,
0: exactly. And he uh. he just like had this like carefree animal mm-hmm. lover life.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: if you read this book you'll learn that Yes, he did have a special connection yeah. with nature for sure. And he had this mm-hmm. beautiful way of expressing it in his poetry.
1: In a way, he did have a carefree heart. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Where yes. that was coming from was totally different than what people might expect from like kind of a modern day hippie kind yes. of mentality. Yes, yeah. yes. He wasn't a modern
0: day like <laughs> take, taking drugs and wandering yeah, yeah. around <laughs> in the birds. Okay. Exactly. So... Chesterton talks in the first chapter about how people want to accept that like more fun side of St. Francis, the Mm. preaching to the birds and the sort of like standing up to, you know, the man (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But they don't want to accept the more ascetic and Mm -hmm. um, maybe more confusing aspects Mm -hmm. of him, like the stigmata or Mm -hmm. various things in his life that maybe would be confusing to a non-religious person. Or even to a religious person, like, maybe those aspects yeah. aren't as fun to think about. Right. I think this is part of why Chesterton loves him so much, though, because it's like, he is a prince of paradox. Yes, St. <laughs> uh, <Saint> Francis is. <laughs> um, yeah. He's, he, he parties hard, and he, like, also prays hard, and yeah. I, I don't know if I should use the word parties, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: but no, I do know what you mean, and I think Chesterton, I think you're absolutely right, that, like, Chesterton... Likes him because he's able to bring together in one man two seemingly irreconcilable things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Chesterton is constantly doing that in all of his writings and trying to understand and wrestle with the truths of the Catholic faith. And like, even before he got to, um, Orthodox Christianity, he was wrestling with like these two kind of seemingly opposite ends that were Mm. both seem to be true. And like, how do you reconcile these things? And I feel like that's what Orthodoxy is all about. Yeah. Um, like his, his book Orthodoxy is all about. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a really good insight that like Francis kind of embodies exactly what Chesterton sees in Orthodoxy and, um, He's just such a, like, fun but, like, confusing character, intense. you know? and he's intense. Yeah, and he's yeah. intense in, like, all directions, you know? Yes. And so I think he's trying to kind of say, like, what is true about kind of the way the the secular mind may see St. Francis, um, and then what is true about, like, how a really devout Catholic may see St. Francis, mm-hmm. but also, like, what are the blind spots in both of those kind of like both of those categories because I think Chesterton's really true, um, or really, really honest about how like some Catholics may be tempted to look at St. Francis and all the saints as like sort of like these, like you were saying, like a portrait of a perfection. Yeah, and just all of these crazy like miracles and legends and stories and things that they've done that are like amazing and whatever. It almost takes away their real humanity. Yeah, and I think Chesterton's trying to say that, like, when you see all that together within the context of their real humanity and the real historical moment that they're in, it actually makes it more beautiful. Yes. um, It's less just kind of, like, cheesy or fake or whatever, you know?
0: Yeah. Okay, so one of my good friends is Father Pio, and he's an Italian. And, like, his family is all from Italy. And I was... Texting him, I'm like, I love Saint Francis of Assisi. Like, do you know a lot about this guy? Like, you're Italian, whatever. And he was like, No, uh, well, I do know some, but like, tell me about this book. And so he's gonna borrow the book. But oh, good. He, w- I was saying, like, Saint Francis became such a real man to me. Like, this man who intensely. And almost rashly like decides to do something and just like commits his whole life to it. And he just like goes 1000% headlong into something. And he was like, so he's Italian. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) That's so true though. Yeah, but it's, like, so beautiful. Like, God used that Italian charisma Mm -hmm. to use him as, like, this beautiful servant of God. So he embraced that trait in St. Francis, and he just, like, you know, let it flourish.
1: Yeah, I love the quote. It's I think it's in chapter 3. Chesterton says there is the spirit of swiftness mm. in a sense. Francis continued running for the rest of his life as he ran after the beggar. He's talking about like he encounters the beggar in the beginning and like gives him his clothes and all this kind of stuff. But I love that idea of like he started running and he just kept running and he never stopped running until he died. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it was yeah. literally just like, yeah, all in. And I, I listen to Bishop Barron a lot and he, Often says he quotes somebody, I can't remember who the person is who said the quote, but they were saying that like this a saint is someone who's like about one thing. Mm. And so they have such a just like focus on like one purpose, and yeah. everything else is just kind of like yeah, commentary, you know. But it's like, but the the saint is just so clearly like one thing <laughs> or about one thing, yeah. you know, and I feel like Francis is that just like in spades, <laughs> you know.
0: Yes. Well, and I, I do love the story of St. Francis because to be honest, even when I'm reading Chesterton, who I can tell admires him so much and is like sharing these awesome stories about him, mm-hmm. I'm like, he was a madman. Mm-hmm. Like he is a crazy man. Yeah. And then, but the part of his story too is like how quickly people followed him to follow Jesus. Like mm-hmm. he um, gains his first two followers like relatively quickly once he decides to rebuild saint damien to restore it and after that it's just like in spades people like chesterton even tells this story a little later in the book of how an entire village or an entire town of people wanted to convert and like leave everything behind and follow the way of saint francis obviously at the time he wasn't saint francis he was just brother francis Mm -hmm. but he convinced them to stay in their marriages stay in their farming stay in their Place of work, like because he's like you guys are who we're serving. Like Mm -hmm. he had such a special um, understanding of like how important their roles in Mm -hmm. life were. It's like this role of life wasn't for everybody, yeah. But people were so attracted to it because it was like Mm -hmm. that narrow focus that you were just talking about. Like remove everything else and just like Mm -hmm. look to the Lord and see what His will and His purpose for us is. Mm
1: Yeah, I really do. I, that kind of gave me a lot of freedom um, when I read this book for the first time. And it was very clear that he wasn't saying, like, this is exactly how Francis lived his life, like, is is a very particular and unique vocation that was given to Francis. Yes, yes. Um, And that not every person is called to the exact same thing, right? Yes. Um, and so, because I remember visiting Assisi 10 years ago for the first time and being very overwhelmed by the very like real spiritual presence of Francis like you could just feel that he was there you know like you could Mm. you just yeah it was so tangible and his holiness and his honestly like extreme (laughs) yeah devotion um Mm. and asceticism and all this kind of stuff because we were hearing all these stories about him and I was at first really overwhelmed like in a negative sense because I was like Mm. how could I ever live up to like what this man has done you know um Mm. but then I sort of started to realize like he was called to this very particular way of living out the gospel yes. um and I'm also called to like give my whole life to the gospel but it's going to look very different than the way that Francis totally. did you know
0: well and God embraces Francis's Italianness and his <laughs> yeah. personality and his gifts mm-hmm. and you have such different personality mm-hmm. and gifts and the time that we live in and everything yeah um so one thing that I loved that Chesterton does at the beginning of this is like he talks about the history around around this time. So mm-hmm. Francis lived in like the 12th and 13th century and centuries and um he talks about how this was this is a misunderstood part of history and mm-hmm. there are a couple things that are really important to understand about this this time in history it's actually a better time than people think it was. Like people think of this time as a time of slavery and like corruption in the church and et cetera. And it was, but it was quickly changing to something better. Mm. And so he talks about during this time, most slaves were being freed, at least in Italy. Uh, Pope Gregory the Seventh made the priesthood celibate, which did worlds of good in sort of like improving the priesthood and making sure that the men who joined the priesthood were truly devoted to being priests of Jesus Christ. Mm. Also, the Crusades begin, Mm. or the Crusades are happening, and he talks a little bit about the Crusades, and this, we could do a whole episode on the Crusades. (laughs) Yeah. Some smarter people than myself (laughs) that I trust very much have taught me about the Crusades, including like lots of people that I worked with at Catholic Answers. But I think people think of the Crusades as like, oh, Christians went out and they just invading... Mm muslim countries and they were just you know like trying to just like fight and just say that it was god's will because they they wanted it or whatever yeah but in reality there's like a lot of defense of Mm -hmm. family and church in that like if muslims did arrive which they did in some places Mm -hmm. they did awful awful things to the the christian people
1: there and i think that's just kind of in general a point that Chesterton's trying to make, and he's just using the Crusades as an example because it's relevant to Francis's time. But he talks about how we, in the modern world, tend to do history like journalism. Mm where we kind of tell the end of the story first. You know how when you read a news yes. article, it tells you what happened yes. first and then it explains like other things. But sometimes it doesn't really go deep in explaining the super, super, super back, 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 background of like why this thing has like come to be. Which can really matter. Totally. And so when you're studying history, especially things that happened so long ago in a completely different world in a completely different place, mm. um, completely different culture, different values that people share, um, It's so easy to take things completely out of context. Um, And so I think Chesterton's trying to say when people look at St. Francis, a figure like St. Francis, just like they look at the Crusades or the Inquisition or something like that. um, There's probably a whole lot of good, bad and ugly like all in there. But like if you're trying to look at it from. A modern lens, you're going to necessarily misunderstand what happened. Yes, because they didn't have a modern lens when they were doing the things they were doing and saying the things they were saying.
0: They had a, their modern lens yeah. in their day. Yeah. They were
1: living in their present moment. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things Chesterton's trying to do in this book is to first, like he he says something. I see if I could find the quote, but he says something about how it's almost as if, in order to understand a man, you have to paint a picture of an entire world like an entire new Mm -hmm. world yep that's what he says Um, yeah and so I I really was like yes yes that's so true like you can't you have yeah you have to tell about so many other things in order to get the full context of a person like where they lived what time they lived in so like you were talking about him being italian and all this stuff but not only italian but italian in in this time the 1100s you know 1200s like yes um and what was going on in the world and what was going on in his town and like what was the whole yeah historical context of of this person and he mentioned somewhere else um it's like beginning all history with the reformation or something like that. Yeah. Um. Like if you can misunderstand what's happened in Christian history if you begin at all with the Reformation. Like, and that's where you start. Um, yeah. And it's so it was so relevant to me because again, I'm talking to a lot of people that are in RCIA, and for some of them, they're coming from traditions where they literally only did learn history from the Reformation till today, um, if they learned history at all. Um. And so they would study like the Bible and the history that's in the Bible. And then they would study, like, Luther until today. <laughs> there was, like, yeah, it's almost yeah. as if no history existed between those two points. Um, and I was talking to people who were extremely intelligent people, who were very well-read, who knew history, like, in other ways, I guess. But they, like, had no concept of this, like, in-between space. Yeah. And once they started studying it, they were like, oh, wow, there's so many things that I, like, took out of context or things that I didn't understand You know, and the other thing, too, is that that happened (laughs) when I was teaching high school and I was teaching church history. And so we would do a lot of saint presentations because I was trying to, like, introduce (laughs) them to, like people throughout history who were living the faith and all this stuff. Um, and their presentations were just so bad. <laughs> and they were bad because they were taking all these like random, like maybe uh, hagiographical details or something, or they were saying like, here's St. Francis of Assisi. He's the patron saint of animals. He was born on this day and this year, and he died in this year on this day. And he lives in this town in Italy, and he was a lover of Jesus. And I'm like... The end. Yeah, the like, end. I know and nothing I'm like, about him. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, is yeah. there not more? And these are like 17-year-olds, you know, like people that could be writing like <laughs> great things. And I'm like, that tells me nothing about him. Or they'll... Um, or they'll talk about like somebody who was like a great reformer and they won't say anything about what they were reforming sure i think i mean uh chesterton actually mentions that in saint francis how people will write history that way and so it just seemed really relevant to me um and a a necessary (laughs) thing to understand you know
0: (laughs) these kids i know um yeah no it's it's so true Another book I've been reading is A Man for All Seasons, which mm-hmm. is like the pl- the play about St. Thomas More. Mm-hmm. And um St. Thomas More has a an essay about I need to I n- need to actually get the title of it, but um In Times of Tribulation, basically like your consolation in times of tribulation. And he's talking about something similar. He's talking to a man who is Distraught because the invasion of Muslims is imminent, and they're in this man's part of the world, and he's like super worried about his family, and rightly so. And St. Thomas is like (laughs) a life uninterrupted by tribulation, should be worried about damnation. Like, basically, we shouldn't be wishing for this carefree existence. Like, you should be trusting in the will of God and trusting in the mercy of God. And I I thought of St. Francis when I heard that because it's like he doesn't shy away from tribulation ever in his life. He just like embraces it like Christ embraced the cross. And I guess we could probably draw a lot of connections with saints throughout history and St. Francis because there's like the uniting factor of God Almighty between all of them. But he ends the second chapter, which is talking about that historical background of saint francis with this quote man has stripped from his soul the last rag of nature worship and can return to nature Mm. and i love that he ends that chapter that way because it's like chesterton saying every misconception that you have about um, saint francis and nature like, of him being a nature worshiper, Mm -hmm. I'd like to just, like, put that to rest. Like, he was a lover of God and loved nature, but he wasn't a nature worshiper. He worshipped God and appreciated nature.
1: Yeah, and he has a, he has a great, I guess, like, a little bit earlier in the chapter, as he's, like, leading up to that line, he's talking a lot about, just this time in history and paganism and how like paganism gave way, he says naturally to Christianity because it kind of like follows it all the way down. Like if the pagans uh, who end up worshiping nature, they end up worshiping something unnatural, which becomes very dark Mm. and very, he talks about like black magic and things like that, how you start doing the natural thing, but you actually end up doing the unnatural thing. And I think he talks about that in Orthodoxy too, if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah, he does.
1: Yeah, he said he said the pagans were wiser than paganism. And that is why the pagans became Christian. Um, yeah. And then earlier, he says he's talking about sex as like something is a part of nature. Um, and gosh, we see that a lot that the moment sex ceases to be a servant, it becomes a tyrant. Um, and that's true with all of nature really, he said, like, it's impossible to remain healthy if you're, if you worship health, you know, and it's like this paradox. Yeah. Um, and so he's saying the only thing that would work in a place that was overrun by paganism gone wrong that like, or really paganism gone right, paganism following all the way to its natural end, which is this like unnaturalness um, that the only way to get rid of that was through this like asceticism of the dark ages And Mm -hmm. that's what's like giving way to St. Francis. But St. Francis's time is kind of coming out of that. Like not as if they were no longer ascetical because he was super ascetical. But in a way that he was able to embrace nature with such freedom because it wasn't controlling him as a tyrant. Yeah. He wasn't worshiping these things. And so he was able to truly appreciate these things. Um, And there's so much we could say about that with like human relationships, marriage. Just like all these different things that we experience that are truly good that God wanted to give to us as gifts. um, If we end up making those things into idols, they will necessarily destroy us. Mm. But if we can see them as the icons that they are pointing beyond themselves to something much greater, which is God and the life of heaven it kind of puts everything in the right perspective. And that's how Francis was so Mm. truly free. You know, you can look at a hippie who's like, you know, rolling around in the flowers and tripping on acid or whatever and think like, oh, (laughs) look how free they are, you know? When in reality, there's an element of slavery. Um, Whereas someone like Francis, who is totally, um, like he doesn't need any sort of like creature comfort. Like he doesn't need anything that's going to numb his senses. He was detached from the world as much as he could be. Yeah, but his senses were so much more heightened. And, and in the
0: world and serving people in the world at the same time. Yeah,
1: and he was able to appreciate all of these things because none of these things ruled him, you know? Yeah. So he had this, like, true freedom that I think the majority of us don't know anything about, <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's inspiring.
0: He makes me want to... I, I actually, like, struggled a little reading this because him, you know, stripping off his his clothes and giving all of the money back to his father. Mm -hmm. um, I think in, I don't know, the third or fourth chapter and like saying, I am a servant of God. I will no longer call like my father, father anymore. Basically. Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't do that. Yeah, I can't just like go off and like, yeah, I have a family to take care of. Yeah. Like I can't (laughs) just like, but, but I love the abandonment to divine providence. It's Mm -hmm. just like, I, c- I can do that part of it. I just can't, mm. like, literally leave and go off and, like, build a church. But mm. okay, so let's talk about Francis the Fighter. Mm. Basically, we hear two important stories in this one. We hear a story of St. Francis selling uh, cloth in the market to a merchant for his father. While he's doing this, a beggar comes up and, like, you know is asking for alms and ends up leaving because he's dealing with the merchant and francis as grace mentioned earlier he sprints after him and he finds him and he gives him all his money the second story that is really important is he's a soldier so um there's war between assisi and perugia i don't know if i'm saying that right but Sounds sorry italians sorry father pio <laughs> um But anyway, he goes to war and he becomes sick. And when he's sick, he has this dream um, and he sees like all of these like swords and arms and banners with the sacred, he says, with the sacred um, image on them, sacred symbol. And so he rushes out while he's still sick and he's like, I'll come back a prince, a great prince, Mm. which is hilarious because like, I do feel like Jesus Christ made him a great prince of heaven. But (laughs) he says, I'll come back a great prince. So he falls very sick on the road. Mm -hmm. He's not better yet. And he receives this message basically like, you misunderstood, go home. Mm. On the road home, he encounters a leper and leprosy was like one of his greatest fears like Mm -hmm. francis doesn't have very many fears but he was really afraid of leprosy and he like makes this vow to himself that he will always help a poor man in need Mm -hmm. he cuts his cloak in half he gives half to the beggar he gives him i think all of his money and he goes on his way and like his life is never the same Mm -hmm. he overcomes this fear and like is just pure charity to mm-hmm. this man.
1: And he doesn't even just like give him stuff. Like he's so afraid of leprosy, but it's like he's he encounters that moment, like the thing that he's afraid of. And instead of just kind of like doing what he feels like he has to, like I'm going to toss you some change. He like runs no, he up to the off. leper and he like embraces him like yes, totally. Yes. And so he's like going all in. It's not like. He
0: gets off his horse. He like, em- yeah, he embraces what he's afraid of. I don't know. I found both of these stories to be really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And one of the things Chesterton like acknowledges, though, is that like some of the the like benevolence was natural in Mm -hmm. St. Francis, his personality, but he embraces it and like helps it to grow. Mm -hmm. And then. Also, Chesterton makes this interesting comment about how, like, the people who were writing biographies of St. Francis early on, they wanted to look at St. Francis when he was young and find this, like, mysticism and Mm -hmm. divine, I don't know, inspiration from early on. And he was – Chesterton is kind of saying, like, he's just becoming a really good man at this Mm -hmm. point. And there's Mm -hmm. not really, like – Francis doesn't see his whole life at this point. Like he doesn't know how far this thing is going to go. Yeah. But he says yes in these two moments to like what the Lord is asking of him.
1: Yeah. We talk a lot at, at my job since we're, we kind of see ourselves as like a house of formation, you know, for college students who are, you know, on this campus and they're learning to be adults and all this kind of stuff. So we're trying to provide obviously spiritual formation, but we talk a lot about human formation um, and how it's like the necessary bedrock to like <laughs> having spiritual formation as well, and I feel like that's exactly what's happening with Francis as a young man is that he's it's not totally divorced from spiritual formation, but he's focusing more on like just how do I be a member of the human race you know like mm-hmm. how do i yeah. how do I be like a good human you know and um, yeah yeah, again, it can't be divorced from spiritual things, but at the same time it's it's something distinct um, mm. and you can see it a lot more clearly before he kind of dives headlong into spirituality. He's mm-hmm. just kind of being a human. Um, and I loved actually the stories about him Kind of off with the army or whatever, or like off with, yes. you know, whatever. And he's like with all when these people. When he's in prison. Yeah. And he's in prison and he's just like talking to everybody. Like there's this one quote. Um, Chesterton says that Francis was, and he quotes, liberal and hilarious. So I don't know if that's coming from people's actual <laughs> descriptions of him. As somebody said of him, resolved to keep up their spirits and his own. So that's like in the prison Um, When Mm -hmm. he came across the mysterious outcast, traitor or coward or whatever he was called, he simply treated him exactly like all the rest, neither with coldness nor compassion, but with the same unaffected gaiety and good fellowship. So just Mm -hmm. like coming up to Mm -hmm. a person and just like not even acknowledging at all that this person could possibly be in a different group or social class than I am, but just like this is a person and he doesn't deserve pity and he doesn't deserve reviling or anything. Like he just is like, you're a person, so I'm going to talk to you and joke with you just like any other yeah. person that I would talk yeah. with and joke with, you know?
0: He's, he's very early on the Gouleur de Dieu. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know?
1: Yeah. It says, he liked as he liked. He seems to have liked everybody, but especially those whom everybody disliked him for liking. <laughs> i really liked that the uh,
0: what's the quote grace where he says he talked to the people that god or he heard the people that god himself did not even want to listen to that's right at the end of that paragraph he listens to those to whom god himself will not listen (laughs) and uh and then i just think that was so good yeah that is good yeah he's Mm -hmm. so kind like Mm -hmm. and not because he's yeah trying to be patronizing or like Um, pitying this guy he's just like treating him with dignity
1: Mm -hmm. I love that yeah and you know I think you mentioned being kind and courteous or whatever and earlier in the chapter Chesterton quotes Belloc Um, there's like a little poem um, and it's talking about courtesy and I was thinking about that and I was like you know like Francis Francis was so intense like as this spiritual master right and yet Um, he was always kind and I think sometimes today we can forget that you know that we can kind of get down on like kindness as being like something or it can be kind of like dismissed as like oh well it's not about being kind it's about being like loving and that requires truth and so you have to be intense and you have to be like harsh or you have to be like real towards people and it's like yeah that's true like you do have to tell the truth you can't just like skirt around it but being kind isn't the same thing as like not being truthful you can be truthful yeah. and also be kind yeah. while you're being truthful yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. and i think we kind of forget that like kindness is a fruit of the spirit you know <laughs> yes
0: um, i'd love to read that little stanza from belloc sure it says of courtesy it is much less than courage of heart or holiness yet in my walks it seems to me that the grace of god is in courtesy like he's saying it's not so great as like courage or holiness Mm -hmm. but like the grace of god is in it Mm -hmm. yeah you know to to comment on what you just said about like doing doing things uh in truth and whatnot doing things maybe unkindly i can't help but think that like the moment when he tells his father i'll no longer call you father and like kind of i mean he basically steals from his father to try to rebuild this church Mm -hmm. and then his dad is just trying to get his money back Mm -hmm. and i mean from an outside perspective that doesn't look too too good for saint francis and then Mm -hmm. he's like i mean it's all well and good to say like i'm now a servant of god like that's like my father is god totally true but Mm -hmm. like that that's a pretty harsh moment between the
1: two of them. And he actually does get in some sense reprimanded by the bishop who he, he then (laughs) trusts and follows, you know, the bishop is like, okay, like I see what you're doing here and uh, you have like good intentions, but like it's not okay to steal, you know, (laughs) like thou shall not steal. Like you can't steal from your father. Like you can't just like, Completely disown your dad. You know, I mean, it's like you can, but you can't, you know. And so he does get corrected. And I think that's an important lesson too, because saints are people, you know, and they're sinners just like us too. And it's like Francis in the future is going to realize, like, oh, how can I do this in a virtuous way? Yeah. You know, and he starts begging for stones instead, you know, of stealing things from his father. So he does have to learn
0: but his his early his early instinct is like, "Well, this is the way that I see that I can do this." yeah, and then I don't know, like being forced into virtue kind of
1: mm-hmm.
0: gets him creative about the situation mm-hmm.
1: I think it's it's interesting because earlier you mentioned like how people can see Francis as like sticking it to the man or something like that when really Francis like totally submitted to to church authority, like yes. he was like. Yeah. And I think I was watching recently, um, Bishop Barron's pivotal players on St. Francis. And, um, that's one of the points that he kind of brings out is like, he was a man of the church. Like he really was like in, in his time and all this kind of stuff. And so we can't like divorce him from that context, you know?
0: Yeah. What did you think about the next chapter grace? When, when the two men start following him and like the rebuilding of the church and everything? What do you think it is that draws, and I'm sorry, I, I should have their names here, but the two men towards joining St. Francis and L- Chesterton makes this comment. I guess I'm, I'm just thinking about logistics. He says that it was so easy for people to join St. Francis because nothing was required, not a building, not food, mm. not clothing, right? Because mm. Francis cast off his clothing and he wore like a, the poorest peasants, poorest cloak, and like tied a piece of string around it basically mm-hmm. and so it required practically nothing for someone to follow him but what do you think it was that convinced people to embrace that difficult of a life
1: yeah i mean i think i think it's a similar thing that would make people embrace something of that life today where You know, we just had some uh, some CFR fathers come visit us at LSU and give some talks to our students and do spiritual direction. And they also are in some sense in the spirit of St. Francis and they they have nothing. You know, they are embracing about poverty and all this kind of stuff. But everybody always wants to meet them and talk to them and, and get spiritual direction from them because you can just tell how free they are. You know, Mm. they're not um, bound by all of these things of the world and all of these um, these things that we think are going to make us free and make us full and make us happy, but actually end up weighing us down Um, Mm. these things that. Yeah, we just we think they're gonna fulfill us, but they're just more things for us to kind of like organize and think about and hold together. And it's like Mm. this tension of holding all these things in our life together is just so stressful, you know. Mm. But then you see somebody who's just like radically abandoned to the providence of God, um, in a way that is like living and breathing and right in your midst. It's not like this idea, but it's like incarnated in this person right before you, and you see how truly happy they are, it's mystifying. You know, mm. and you're like, clearly they have something that I don't have. Why do I not have that? You know, and when you start to actually kind of see like what they're doing and all this stuff, I don't know. I, that's my guess is that they see the freedom that we all long for as human beings like radically present in this person, despite yeah. the like outward appearance of seeming like they have nothing at all. And that's compelling.
0: Saint Francis says, that he has a most a most glorious and gracious lady, and that her name was poverty mm. and i guess I guess this is this is a great paradox to me because obviously Saint Francis and many others who joined him were called to live this life, and today you know Franciscans are called to live this life, however, they also desire for like I don't know, like St. Francis also desires at the same time for like the families and the communities around them to like to have enough food for their children and Mm -hmm. to have like Mm -hmm. warmth to live in and all of this. Like he himself is living this highly ascetical life and yet he doesn't doesn't call everyone else to follow him in that. Mm -hmm. And as I'm reading Thomas More and him talking about like comfort and and complacency and like um it worries me i'm like where is that line like mm. i don't want to not become holy because i cling too much to my comforts mm. but at the same time like i think i'm not called to like yeah give everything away and like go out on the road so I don't know. This is God. Yes. (laughs) It's a great paradox.
1: Yeah, it is. It is like one of the most confusing things like in looking to the saints as our inspiration, which we should in a lot of ways, it can so easily become like a a game of comparison or a game of like exact imitation, you know, Mm. but I think we have to resist that, you know, and be challenged by it in the ways that we need to be challenged by it in our lives but and and again I think at the maybe at the root of all of it is the spirit behind it um not exactly what I have or don't have in terms of material wealth or whatever else but like how do I how do I allow that material wealth to affect my life um And in my spirituality and my relationship with God and my relationship with the people in my life. Um, and do I have a spirit of generosity to give whenever whatever is necessary in the moment to give. Mm-hmm. But that's going to look very different from someone like St. Francis to someone who, you know, is. Yeah married with kids in suburban wisconsin you know yeah (laughs) um yeah and (laughs) and god knows where he's placed yeah and it's like we have i think the the whole thing i mean i feel like i talk about this all the time but the whole idea of the body of christ and all of the parts and working together it's like if everybody was saint francis then it wouldn't really work like i don't know yeah yeah (laughs) Um, well it's like saint
0: terese says (laughs) everybody is a different flower in the garden of of our Lord. We're not all called to be the same.
1: Right. And so I think it really has to do with like this personal prayer, like cultivating this personal relationship Mm -hmm. with God and like allowing him to tell you like, what is your own uniqueness? And like, what is your own place that you've been given? And like, how can you apply these principles? How can you How can you live these virtues in the very particular place that you are and that God has called you to? You know? Yes. Um, and if you don't have that like actual relationship with the Lord where you can like hear him speak into those places, then like it can get pretty wacky pretty fast. <laughs> you know.
0: So that's not not what you need to work way. on next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we need to wrap up for today, but Fear not, my friends, because we are going to continue talking about the rest of the book in detail in another episode very soon, and there, it just gets better and better. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grace, before we wrap up today, I would like to ask, do you have anything that you have been very grateful for lately, or anything, any last thoughts that you need to share
1: with our listeners? Yeah. In terms of last thoughts, I don't really know. I, there's so many more things <laughs> I feel like I could talk I about. I well, so we will. Hopes. Yeah. We'll do yeah, we'll do so another we'll, episode. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll finish talking about some things, but, um, yeah, just for, in terms of gratitude, I've just been so, so grateful for the staff that I work with. Mm-hmm. I just like am amazed every day by the incredible people and just like community that we have here. These people are just like such lovers of the Lord and everyone is so unique in the way that they live that out, even just like Mm. among our staff. And we've been having a lot of just little conversations here and there about that and about like our different charisms and gifts and how they work together. And um, I'm really challenged by people on staff. Like we, we can have this like trust that we're all like on the same mission, like for the same purpose and we want people to love the Lord. Um, But we have such different, kind of like experiences and perspectives and ways of understanding, um, that. And we have these great discussions led by our pastor, who is just so wonderful, um, where he really allows us and wants us to kind of argue it out a bit, you know? Um, and so we were able to kind of challenge each other. And sometimes I leave staff formation c- kind of like with my head spinning and I'm all worked up and mm, I've like got all mm. these thoughts, you know, but then we can have later conversations where we're like, working that out and trying to understand like where is this person coming from and why are they saying like this or Mm -hmm. why do they think that this is the best method of doing whatever you know and it's just really a great contrast to the cancel culture that we live in online (laughs) where Mm -hmm. we if a person disagrees with us like automatically we just push them away and we like dismiss them and we just think like oh they don't they don't get it or they don't understand or they're in that camp and I'm in this camp but being on this staff like really forces us to yeah just like see how good everyone is because we have like kind of an insight into their we like share prayer and all this kind of stuff so we have like an insight into their heart and into their like following the lord but then we can disagree like in the midst of that i don't know if that's making any sense but um No totally Yeah, I'm just so grateful for this place because it's such a place of formation, not even for our our students that we serve, but also for us as staff members. And so it's amazing. I just think it's really rare and it's really unique um, as far as (laughs) I talk to a lot of people who work for the church around the country. And I just feel like it unfortunately is super rare to have a space Mm. like this. And so I'm just so grateful to God every day (laughs) for these people. Yeah, that's
0: amazing. That's amazing. Oh, wow. For me, my my little gratitude journal this week is that my brother and his family are moving to La Crosse this week. Hooray! So another one of my siblings is now going to be here. That will be five out of seven of us, and we're wow. <laughs> you know completely understanding of my other two siblings possibly never moving here, but mm-hmm. we obviously all love to be together, so... Mm. I always hope, but it's really nice to have another one and I've never met his baby. Aww. So I'm meeting his baby for the first time Monday or Tuesday and um yeah, it's just a really special time. God is good. He's like really opened a way for us here. So
1: Yeah. It's it's really amazing kind of what's happened with your yeah. family. <laughs> yes. That's really cool. Where do you where do your other two siblings live? Just San Diego, oh, and- still in San Diego. Oh San Diego,
0: Dallas. Okay. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So, yep. So we'll see. We'll see where the Lord continues to take our family, but it's been pretty special. And yeah, I don't know. Having my mom five minutes down the road Mm -hmm. is like just a treat. Yeah. So I love her so much. It's really (laughs) nice to have her by, close by. That's great. Okay. Well, so we will continue this talk very soon. If in the meantime, you need or want to find us, we are on Instagram at pintswithchesterton. Our website is pintswithchesterton.com and our email is pintswithchesterton at gmail.com. We encourage you to dialogue with us if you so choose. We'll see you next time for the second half of St. Francis of Assisi.
1: May you all enjoy lives of wit and whimsy. Cheers. Cheers.